All right, good morning, everyone. We're gonna go ahead and start now. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dr. Yasmin Farshad, Practitioner Education Manager for Wise Women Herbals. And I wanna welcome you to this month's Practitioner Forum call through the Wise Women Herbals Practitioner Learning Community. If you've attended our previous events, thank you so much for joining us again. And if this is your first time, we extend an extra warm welcome to you. Uh, is entitled Clinical Support for Allergies with Dr. Glenn Nagel. And during today's call, Dr. Nagel will be going over details about what exactly is going on at a physiological level when you're having an allergic response and how that manifests into symptoms, internal and external factors that may be triggering allergies, how herbs work in order to help support a normal, healthy immune response, as well as clinical indications and contraindications of these herbs. This is an interactive event, so this is a great opportunity for you to actually ask the expert yourself. So if you have questions, uh, please feel free to send them via, uh, via the chat box option at the bottom, and I'll go ahead and ask Dr. Nagel um, as we go. Dr. Glenn Nagel has been a practicing herbalist, registered through the American Herbalist Guild since 1984, and is an, a naturopathic physician. Uh, he's been a consultant to the herbalist industry for many years and is deeply passionate about botanical education. He's a former associate professor of botanical medicine at National College of Natural Medicine, Bastyr University, and is currently an adjunct professor at National University of Natural Medicine. So without further ado, I'd like to present to you Dr. Glenn Nagel. All right. Welcome, everybody. I know some will be jumping on here as we get to go through this. And I, I'm definitely... Like all these practitioner calls, there's a lot of information. You're going to have access to these slides. And so some of them, I'm not going to talk about every slide. Uh, I like to give you a lot of information, but we want to go over the overview. And uh, allergies are a big, big concern this time of year. It's very topical. Here's our disclaimer. These are all my thoughts and ideas. Um, I want to start by just talking about uh, botanical medicine in an overview. This is something I really like to uh, talk about is that uh, we have an action of an herb here in the center. This is how the effects of the herb. And I like to think of the therapeutic triangle is that we have our traditional knowledge through ethnobotanical use. So if you start thinking about herbs like turmeric, holy basil, I mean, we have such a green tea, such a long history, that makes me interested. How do they use it? What do they use it for? Um, then we have scientific research, you know, it's really important. What does the clinical study say? Is it researched? You know, a lot of times you hear, oh, there's no research on herbal medicine. Well, I do a lot of research on PubMed and I mean, there's hundreds of studies, thousands of studies on herbs. Um, they're not drug studies, they're herb studies. So, you know, uh, and then what's your own personal and or clinical experience? And so this is the place that because botanical medicine is a web of activity, um, I like to think of it as like, uh, you know, uh, each little therapeutic chemical has this web effect. And so everybody can have different effects, personal. So if you take an herb and like it helps you, it doesn't help you, somebody else it could really help. And that's different chemistry, different detox, different uh, kinds of medicine. So this personal approach. And so when you're done with that, you know, what I really like to see is that you have all these balanced and in the middle you have that action, that activity. And so uh, some herbs have a real strong traditional use. Some have a lot of research. Some you just have your own experience with, and maybe it's a minor herb. So think about this in like, when you look at an herb, you hear about it, think about, you know, does it have these three components? Because when the three components are present, that's when you get the strongest activity. Um, I'm also going to talk a little bit about synergies, like how do herbs work? Well, you know, I say it's a web, but what I like to think about it is all these components are added. And I like to think of it the most useful herbs have the most complexity usually. And I think of it like having a lot of extended family. If you need help and you have grandparents, cousins, uncles, it's like all those people are at your disposal. And so the therapeutic outcome of an herb depends on the chemistry and the extraction method and the farm and the essence and the dose. And there's even potential placebo effects. All these things throw in the hopper. 
And so the more balls we can bounce, this is what's so great about herbal medicine, is it's not a monotherapy. I think drug models like having one rich cousin. Maybe he's out of town. Maybe he's not going to talk to you. You got no help. The herbs, there's always this web of support. And so this is really important because as we talk about allergies, um, it's a multi-layer approach. So I want to highlight um, this component, which is the study that came out a few years ago, but I think it's really important. And this is going to be kind of the key topic from today's finding is that we're all aware of global warming. We all know it's affecting our life, the more um, weather, crazy weather patterns, extreme. But in relation to health issues, this was an interesting study, by, study done by, um, I think, the World Wildlife Fund and the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And they found that unchecked global warming will worsen respiratory allergies and that more allergies, more global warming means more CO2, means more allergens, could mean more asthma and allergy attacks. And so we all know that allergies have been growing since about 1980, but lately this study is a great, and I've put it into the notes so that you can review it, but I thought this was interesting based on CO2 content of the year. You gotta remember, CO2 is plants' food. So as global warming and oxygen decreases and CO2 increases, this is uh, you know, the theory that right now, uh, you know, 370 parts per million of CO2 in 1900 is only 280. And prediction somewhere in this bar here that it doubles by 2075. Well, you have to remember CO2 is what plants need. And so global warming is going to be bad for humans and other life forms is going to be great for plants. This study also came out with the Union of Concerned Scientists and they talk about global warming and allergy symptoms and they say global warming is the miracle grow for weeds, right? CO2. And so they said these three key factors are what we're going to see with global warming is that we have increased carbon dioxide from trapped gases. That's going to help plants grow. Plants are going to pollinate. Pollen is going to be released. The rising temperature, you know, here in Oregon, we see that, you know, uh, in that study that showed that the um, USDA maps of zones for plants are changing because you can start growing warmer crops in clients. And then there's an extended spring because winter is milder. There's less winter in certain parts of the country. And so we have longer bloomings. All these things lead to the fact that we better understand how to help with allergies because it just seems like it's going to get worse. So I'll go over a little bit of primer on allergies. You know, just this idea that we have different types of allergies. I'm talking more about the seasonal allergies or allergic rhinitis, but food and um, pet and danders and pollen, all these allergies. So airborne allergies and inhaled allergies. We know that at 50 or even now, I think the studies are more like 70 million. One in five suffer from allergies. You know, you do any intake doctor form, they say, what do you have as allergies? And I remember looking at those forms as a doctor and, you know, lots of allergies. And, you know, typically there's allergies, asthma, and eczema. That's the triad. You see those three things together. And so it's oftentimes important to ask about allergies, about skin problems, and about respiratory. And so respiratory support is what we're going to be talking about. And, you know, it's fifth, to maybe the third leading, leading cause of young people, 40, 50, 60 million. And animal danders, cats and pets, you know, it's harder to deal with animals because, hey, do you want to get rid of your pet? You know, but um, when you have people tested, you can see what are the allergies. And so there are different ways to test for these triggers, but the most common indoor, outdoor, you know, the trees, grasses, and weeds, pollens, mold, wet places have a lot of mold, dust mites, these are bugs, and cat and dog and rodent dander. Cats seem to be more allergic than dogs. Um, and pollens, you know, you tend, tend to think of grass, trees, and weeds. Uh, trees tend to come out earlier in the spring, grass in the summer, 
and weeds tend to be heavily in the fall. That's the kind of thing. And if you look in uh, news reports uh, on weather, they oftentimes have little pollen charts. Uh, what's high? Because uh, if you have symptoms, you want to correlate it to what's out in the air and how to uh, identify what that specific thing is. Now, this is a concept I didn't invent, but I really like to bring to people's attention because it's the total allergenic load concept. And I look at it as the, the allergens are the water and the body's response or the immune system is this cup or glass. And so as long as you have room, you can contrain, you can hold the allergy symptoms at bay. And so say here in this example, you have some allergies, maybe there's food allergies, maybe there's pollen allergies, but there's still a good response. The immune system can contain those symptoms, hold them in control. But over time, and typically, especially seasonal allergies, as the season kicks in, all of a sudden you have a bigger antigenic load and the water fills up much higher. And then once it gets to the top, it spills over you have symptoms. So you want to do two, address two main therapies, and that's one, lower the load or increase the body's ability to respond. And so the strength in the immune system, decrease the inflammation. And we'll talk about herbal therapies for that. But one of the ways we look at seasonal allergies is that if you have food allergies, they could have the cup half full all the time. And then when seasonals come in, they overflow. So it's oftentimes very helpful in the clinical uses to address underlying food allergies because you eat every day or likely. And so if you can lower the food allergens, you have more room to deal with seasonal allergies. And I can remember a patient with really bad seasonal allergies is when we took out their dairy and wheat allergy the seasonal allergies became so much less without any treatment because we lowered the antigenic load. So think about that in relation, meaning you may not get rid of your cat, but you can cut out foods in your life and that will lower this load. So this is a really important concept to understand that all allergies are cumulative. They all add up as stresses, even though the different kinds of allergies, you may not have a pollen allergy, but you may have a food allergy. And they're triggered by various substances. The allergens are typically protein related. And you know, cats are bad because they, they lick themselves and the saliva has uh, allergenic components. Um, the little pollens from airborne, they get in, they get in your immune system. And so when I lived in a very dry climate in Colorado, we had a lot of allergies because you got to remember respiratory tract, nose, mouth, lungs are designed to block that. And so one of the things uh, as a treatment that's so easy to do is make sure you're properly hydrated. Because if you think about inhaling spores from airborne, if your mucous membranes are dry, they allow the pollens to get into the bloodstream and stimulate an allergenic response. And so uh, hydration is really good. These respiratory triggers, you know, they're by inhaled, and typically the idea is you're exposed, it's not so bad, and then after a period of time, you get exposed again and your body's been targeted and charged. And so this is the idea that the first bee sting, you don't get a response. The second one, your system has been charged by uh, immune molecules. And so typically you'll see somebody move someplace so they don't have a problem. But after so many years at aging and exposure, they become sensitized. And so the key thing is you have to be exposed to an allergen and you have to be sensitized. And how you get sensitized is like, again, that total allergenic load. Some people get exposed and never have a sensitization and other people get exposed and they create a sensitization. So you can't always avoid those, but um, if you're not exposed, you won't get sensitized. This is a really great little chart, too, because you got to remember allergies, especially the seasonal allergies, it's like we have this um, little cross. So 
down below here, it's underactive, and above, it's overactive. And then to this direction, it's external, and this direction, it's internal. And so seasonal allergies are overactive external, although it could be overactive internal if it's food allergies. Um, if you have an overactive and it's internal, you can develop all autoimmunity, and autoimmunity is the body attacking itself. Again, immune balance is what we're really looking for. That's in the center here. If you're underactive immune system and it's internal, it can lead to chronic disease, you know, cancer being one. If it's underactive, external, the infection model can lead in. So what we're really looking for is a balance because most allergies, the seasonal allergies, are an over-response that you can't bring down to a manageable level. And that's the key thing is how do we balance the system to bring you kind of into the center here? Because we don't want to be underactive either. We want to be balanced in tone. And this is where botanicals can really help because they have a biphasic effect that allows us to be balanced. So I'm not going to go through the details of the allergenic response, but you're exposed and you can create IgE antibodies from pollens and danders and plants and IgG, which typically come from foods which are called delayed sensitivities. There's type one, type two, type three, type four. Um, but typically IgE are these ones that are very histaminic and you get the symptoms of runny, watery, itchy, scratchy, swelling. Um, the scratch tests that doctors do on your back test very well for IgE. The food allergens can often be tested by IgG. So uh, food allergy tests by blood measuring IgE and IgG are oftentimes a good screening model. The general thing I would say in practice is you can do blood tests to give you a kind of a list, but eventually you have to try to eliminate or decrease your exposure so you're not sensitizing your system. So it's kind of time versus money. If you've got the time, you could just take things out of your diet, try to uh, change uh, inhalants. If you have more of the money, you can do tests to kind of give you an idea. But once you're exposed and these little mast cells degranulate, they produce antibodies and chemicals that try to help body respond. So it's a healing response. It just causes symptoms that are very uncomfortable. And so uh, herbal actions, you know, uh, how do we support? Well, the pharmaceutical drugs just block. And there's the COX-1 and 2 inhibitors and they prevent binding to the uh, target receptor. So they, they block the, the mast cell from degranulating and creating symptoms. You still have the allergenic response, it's just masking it. And one of the things we know about uh, allergy medication, especially nasal sprays, is they can cause a lot of rebound, meaning when you go off them, you get much worse. And they can be fairly addictive because of that. Meaning somebody's, uh, I had a friend who's got a nasal, um, a spray that he uses for allergies and he was like oh the, the if I don't take this my symptoms get a lot worse and then the, the other piece that he had is it's not covered by his insurance and so it's like a $300 copay for a medicine that doesn't really help underlying it just helps the symptoms and so when we look at herbal actions we really want to think about herbal anti-inflammatories things that can help block and turmeric and ginger and some of the herbs we're going to be talking about today, fever few as being one. They're a long-term strategy that can work to help block this without having the suppressive effects of the drugs. And you know, symptomatic treatment is great when you need it, but it's not dealing with the symptoms underlying. And so you still have allergies, you still have those imbalances, it's just you're blocking it. So symptomatic suppression is a band-aid. And so oftentimes, if you're helping and working in a counseling coach or a therapeutic relationship, people will be doing these over-the-counter things, but they're not doing all the lifestyle and diet things that can help to lower that allergenic load. They're just like, I know it's bad. And you know that it's a tremendous amount of um, money spent on ads getting people to take seasonal allergies relief, but 
we want to look like it's underlying. So just don't treat symptomatic. And so here are some really key components is supportive symptom management using herbal decongestants, um, restoratives and mucolytics, things to help break up the music, uh, mucus, uh, stabilize the mast cells using herbal anti-inflammatories. And the other thing we think about is herbal uh, adaptogens, uh, adrenal support, you know, things like licorice and uh, things I talked about in early webinars, um, holy basil and ashwagandha and, and, you know, reishi mushrooms, I really think is a great mast cell destabilizer, anti-allergy, immune balancer. And then a modifying the underlying contributing. So somebody has avoids the foods and the animals or the danders. You can't really stop breathing, but there's a lot of information out there about, you know, making your indoor air filters, you know, HEPA, like getting out, especially we would oftentimes in clinical practice focus on their bedroom. Because if you can, if you sleep in a room for eight hours a night, can you make that room as clean as possible? Get rid of allergy, you know, rugs and things that hold pollens and dills, uh, um, dander, you can bring in a HEPA filter, you can put filters on your screen in your windows so the pollen doesn't come in. Um, work with the immune system, work with stress management because cortisol and stress hormones, and cleansing and detoxifying. Uh, doing a spring cleanse oftentimes means it resets the immune system, it balances, it takes away some of those allergenic loads, people feel lighter, they respond less to seasonal allergies. So let's talk about some of the herbs. Um, probably the one that comes up the most, everybody loves eyebright. And so eyebright's thought of typically for irritated, watery eyes, right? Usually a bland discharge. And if we look at this little plant, it's in the scrofulary AC family. And I've seen it in the wild and I've collected it. It's a challenging herb to grow because it's saprophytic. Its roots grow with other plants. And when you look at it, it's a tiny little plant. I mean, really, it's like three inches, maybe six inches at most. But it has this huge flower. And I'll think of the signature as the flower is kind of like a face, you know? Thinking about the eyes, and it has this bright kind of eye model. And so it's all about eyes, nose, and throat. Although this one seems to work best, nose and eyes. It's also good for um, lungs a little bit, but... We think about for eyes, so it was used as an eye wash. The key thing on this is uh, if you gather it fresh and you extract it or dried, it turns a really um, black, black tincture. And it has these iridoid glycosides, which are anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. So the key thing about Eyebright is that it's astringing and antimicrobial without being a tannic-rich plant. And so tannins astringent are antimicrobial but they're drying, and sometimes that's useful, but eyebright is less irritating because if you think about putting black tea in your eye, it's very astringent and it will help to cleanse the eye, but it could be too drying or too irritating. And so this is where eyebright's really good. The iridoid glycosides are also found a lot in things like plantago, officinalis, um, ocubin being the one. And so, uh, you know, nourishing is strengthening. And so, it has a natural anti-inflammatory astringing without being overly astringing and antihistamine effect. And so this is our key thing for eye issues, taking it internally um, for sinusitis and for seasonal allergies. And the doses, it's pretty appropriately, you can use um, a few drops. There was a lot of issues with the quality of it, you know, getting it from Europe. And so really work with your suppliers like Wise Women to make sure you get a really high quality product because the, for many years, this was difficult because of the growing situation. I can't just cultivate a field of it. Most of it's still wild collected. Now a key one we all think of about is nettles, stinging nettles. And you know, this is a Johnny come lately for the algae model. Uh, actually, I was around in the early 90s when, when I was working with a company here in Oregon that developed the first freeze-dried nettles. And that was the first way we understood that they could be helpful for allergies. I mean, traditionally, traditionally nettles is a nutritional alternative. 
It's a diuretic. It was anti-arthritic. It's anti-inflammatory. It's a mineral and a protein source. It's about 25% plant protein. So dried nettles, super nutritious. A lot of minerals. This is a young uh, picture I took of a young plant. You can see when it's young in the spring, like this time of year, it's purple. And that purple is antioxidant pigments. So we were doing research on uh, fresh nettles and we did a, a antioxidant test. And we found that fresh nettles like this out of the spring ground had a equivalent to a green tea as an antioxidant, about 8% uh, antioxidants, which is super high. The, the anti-allergy thing came, really came from the fact that um, the experience we had years ago, which started this whole thing, because there was a study done that I was involved with in 1989. Uh, uh, nettles had a Plants study showed that it, it stinging nettles had an anti-allergy effect. And these were done in the freeze-dried form. Uh, freeze-dried probably is best, but all forms of this can be helpful. And so we got to look at the constituents to really understand it. So we have, these are um, flavonoids, which are nutritionally tonic. Uh, we have the chlorogenic cephalomalic acid, which those things are antioxidant, but it's in the stinging hairs, these little trichomes. We have acetylcholine, we have histamine, we have serotonin. Neurotransmitters, histamine is gonna make you worse. So how does the histamine in a plant help allergies? Well, I think it really works from a little bit stimulates your body to respond, to bring in balance. And so if you get stung by nettles, they have these little hairs called trichomes, and they look like this, right? And so you get stung, they inject those chemicals, histamine, serotonin, you get this urticaria rash. If you stimulate the rash externally, it actually helps internally. And so I think my best nettle treatment is get stung with fresh nettles if they're available, and that helps symptomatic relief. It also helps uh, inflammatory joints. Next, taking the internal use, um, you know, eating nettles is a great tonic in the spring where you have them. So nourishing, uh, you know, different forms. Uh, I would say that fresh is best, freeze-dried, and then tincture. And probably air-dried nettles in a capsule would be the least helpful. Now, it is such nutritional tonic that it can help. And those components are in there, but when you uh, air-dry it, the little histamines are destroyed. And so uh, the tinctures are extracted a little bit and there's some in there. So typically we think of it for um, low states of stagnation, depression. This is a building herb. My little uh, sign for this is build, tear it down, build it up. So nettles really get at the foundation of building a healthy immune system and they're detoxifying. And so for most of the seasonal and food allergies, nettles can be very, very helpful. What about golden seal? Well, golden seal, uh, typically we think of it as an herbal antibiotic, but that's a big myth. It's really more of a mucous membrane tonic, and it's definitely good for bacterial secondary infections. So I think of uh, allergic rhinitis as being overstimulation. Typically, it's clear discharges. Um, Hydrastis' key indication is a thick yellow mucus. Like the yellow in the root, has the berberine, uh, has hydrastine. It's astringing, again, without tannins, and it's antimicrobial. Oregon grape would fall into that mindset. Uh, Oregon grape, probably more sustainable, more available. Uh, some would say not as strong. But typically, this was never used for colds. It's a king or queen of the mucous membrane tonics. And the way it really works is it has astringing properties and then the um, antimicrobial effect from the um, alkaloids, but also it stimulates healthy mucus. And so what this one does is it refreshes the membranes with healthy mucus and the healthy mucus keeps uh, infections at bay. So this is oftentimes useful in the allergenic, seasonal allergenics that work into sinusitis and infections. That's where it's really key. So when there's a color discharge, we think of yellow-green. We think of uh, hydrastis as a mucous membrane tonic. It's also helpful to do it as a nasal wash. And you can drop the tinctures into saline, you know, a dropper of the tincture into an ounce of saline. And uh, that will dilute the alcohol. And you can gargle with it. You can wash it up your nose, um, even potentially 
uh, use it as a, a eye wash. The key thing on this is doesn't need a lot, a few drops, 10 to 20 drops uh, in a formula, like 10% mixed with other things. A lot of people tried to use a really high dose, uh, tried to like, you know, kill out an infection. And a concept of that is it often dries up the membranes and gets, could be irritating. Now in allergies, that can be helpful. So I'm not saying that that's something you can never do. But Golotil, really great. Think of it more of the end stage where it starts moving into other, other things. Now, simple things we have at home, almost all mint family plants with essential terpenes like thyme. Thyme oil is super, thyme itself is super potent. Uh, you know, if you've ever had really good thyme out of a garden, I mean, you, you bite into it and it starts burning your tongue. Um, we have this available as an herb in your kitchen. I, I've had patients take time out and make a tea. So it's really the terpenes, the volatile oils, especially, especially thymol. And very similar, I think of this as a great substitute for eyebright. Because look, it has volatile oils, it has caffeic acid derivatives, it has flavonoids. Um, so it's similar, but much more available, much more sustainable. And everybody has it. So you could take time and make a tea and it's very safe. Um, the thymol, if you're using essential oils, they're very, very potent, especially thymol. Uh, like here, thymol, you have to dilute it one to 2%. But this one's very much anti, um, antiseptic and astringent and anti-infective and it refreshes the membranes and it has an anti-inflammatory effect. It seems to calm the membranes. So this was used for a mucousy cough, a mucousy sinuses. And you know, you think about time, it's a pleasant taste. If you take it outside of, if you make a tea of it, most people won't associate it with tomato sauce <laughs> because it's in a different, you know, when you put it in food, you kind of think, oh, this is the time flavor. But when you take it separate or put it in a formula, it's pretty tasty without getting this idea that you're having. Now, lobelia is a great one. You could do this whole webinar on lobelia. This is more of a low-dose herb. I know it's a practitioner-only product. Um, and the thing about lobelia, it's a Native American remedy found by Samuel Thompson, a historical. Um, it has piperidine alkaloids. These alkaloids are strongly antispasmodic. Uh, it's a beautiful plant, grows wild in the Northeast. You can grow it in a garden very easily. Um, just remember, don't confuse it with garden lobelias. You go to the garden center, they have a lot of lobelias. This is Lobelia inflata. It has these little inflated pods. They can't quite see them here. Has a lot of little seeds. Here you go. You can see the pods. Uh, the thing about lobelia is that it's a relaxant and a stimulant. So large doses relax, small doses stimulate bronchial dilation. And so it's a smooth muscle antispasmodic and too much causes nausea. And that's the key thing. If you're nauseous, you could lead to vomiting. And historically, a uh, long time ago, they felt like it was a great emetic, meaning they would use it to throw, uh, get people to throw up. Um, it's not how we want to use it. And so if anybody's taking lobelia, it has an effect like tobacco where it kind of binds in the throat but a small amount can help respiratory breathing. And so this more fits into the allergies toward asthmatic condition. And you wanna be somewhat uh, familiar and have had experience with it. It's not a simple, safe little tonic herb. It has, I mean, it's very safe, but it's uh, more of a something that you would use in a combination. Typically it's put in about 10% in a formula. You know, a few drops, and you honestly always want to tell people that if you get nauseous, just stop it. But it's a great herb for bronchial spasm. Inula, this is one of my favorite herbs because it's very, very uh, common. It's aromatic, but it's also a very good expectorant. So you got to get something to break up the mucus. And so this one, I think of this as a great. Uh, combination. I love this combination with elderberry. Elderberry being kind of a immune modulating, antiviral, anti-inflammatory with all those pigments as well as antioxidant. 
So I like to add the elderberry concentrate syrup with inula because this somewhat has a great expectorant anti, and so it's antimicrobial, but it helps break up. We always have a lot of phlegm, you know, whether it's thin and runny or thick. It's also been used for a lung where there's conditions there. As antimicrobial compounds, which, you know, are going to really help these sesquiterpene lactones, and it's very available. So it's a little a bitter, it's a little aromatic, and it goes great with things like elderberry because the, then it sweetens it up. Horseradish, amazing. Horseradish is amazing, mostly from the fact like, okay, who hasn't had wasabi, right? Now I'll separate, and there's a whole another slideshow on wasabi, but true wasabi is a different plant. It's wasabi japonica, and most of the wasabi you buy to eat with sushi is horseradish, uh, colored with green color. So uh, real wasabi is very, very expensive. If you go to high-end sushi places, they'll have real wasabi. They both are helpful and they both work similar. Um, the key thing on horseradish is where do you feel horseradish? You know, there's a heatness, but it's like from the nose up. And so this opens up circulation and it's a, a draining and it's a mucolytic. Uh, really helpful where there's congestion. I've had people just take grated horseradish, you know, and the thing about grated horseradish is that by itself, horseradish isn't that potent, but when you grate it, you break down um, the ITCs, the alloisothiocyanates, which are potent antimicrobial sulfur compounds. That's in garlic, that's in onions, this is brassicacea. And so that presence is crushed. And so we make the tincture, we grate the horseradish, let it sit 10 minutes, and then add the alcohol and water because the myrcin is an enzyme that breaks it down, and that's when it gets really potent. And this is something that you can really get a burn sensation from it. So a little of this in a formula really helps to uh, create a synergist and a potent kicking effect. So I love the horseradish. Uh, yarrow, my joke with yarrow is it's pretty much for everything, right? I mean, uh, I, I, when I was teaching at the Nature Brother College, if I put a multiple co a choice question, like here's a case, what herb would be indicated for this case, and I put yarrow as an answer, I could never find it to be wrong because it's good for everything. The piece that we look at the flowery yarrow tops is that it has these folded leaves and has these beautiful white flowers. It's, it's a bitter, it's aromatic, it's strongly anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. So it really helps with tonifying the mucous membranes through anti-inflammatory. It contains oils like camozoline and the yarrow essential oil camozoline is blue. So it says amazing Mediterranean blue colored oil if you ever see the separated oil. And it's really great for its antispasmodic. So if there's a lot of sneezing, this is where it's good. It's great for where there's bleeding. So if you get enough irritation, there's some blood coming out. And so by itself, it's just, you gotta remember, it's quite bitter and by itself, it's probably gonna be a little bit. So I could mix this with um, elderberry and tussilago or, and or um, inula. And that way you have uh, immune, that way you have an anti-mucolytic. And then this one, you have a tyrephoric, uh, tonifying and it's also very very good as a diaphoretic so it's warming and it causes the sweating and so it helps to uh, move the circulation and you know that way detoxifying so that's where it was helpful with fever because it would help you break the fever by causing you to sweat and the classic formula is um, peppermint and elderflower and yarrow mixed together Typically, two parts peppermint, one part yarrow, one part elderflower. Make a strong tea of that or a tincture and then take, you know, a pint or more while you're taking a hot bath. Put cold cloths on the forehead, cold cloths on the feet or the feet in cold water. Um, drink it and then take a cold cloth and wash the body as you get out of the bath and then wrap up, not to get chilled. And then you go to bed and the yarrow really helps 
to bring the sweat out and that will really help break a fever. That's the alternative to taking NSAIDs or Tylenol, things like that. Just sweat it out, go to bed. In the morning, people usually feel a lot better. So we have some upper respiratory support formulas. Dr. Farshad, do you want to come in and help talk about this? But kind of has everything we're talking about, which is so great, right? Yes, absolutely. So if you're looking for something to add to your patient's protocol that's already blended for you, um, the upper respiratory support is great. Um, again, like Dr. Nagel said, a majority of the herbs that he mentioned today are in there. And we do have other uh, respiratory support products. If you want to go to uh, www.wisewomenherbals.com, you can see all the other um, respiratory support uh, compounds that we have to offer. And uh, next, if Dr. Nagel, if you could change the slide, please. Thank you. Um, so right now, our spring into summer sale is happening, so you can get up to 20% off of your uh, order, and that's off of wholesale if you have a practitioner account with us. Um, that happens until the 30th, so if you have any questions, please feel free to contact customer service, and they'd be happy to give you more information on that promotion, uh, and or if you don't have uh, an account with us, we'll be happy to set that up for you as well. And next... I put this slide in on the upcoming ones, uh, the events in May, botanicals for skin health. What's interesting about this talk is we'll talk about internal use and topical use of herbs because they both can have a, an important role. In June, we're gonna talk about body-mind. And this is the idea of like, how do we uh, integrate moods using potentially uh, aromatic herbs as well as internal herbs. So that's the component there. So if, you, if yeah. you would like to register for that, you can go onto uh, Wise Women Herbal's website and uh, scroll to the bottom, click on <clears throat> excuse me, Practitioner uh, Learning Community, and then you can register for those. We will be sending out a thank you email with uh, the replay link as well as information on how to receive the slides from today as well as the study. Um, and then again, more information on upcoming events. So feel free to uh, visit the website. If you have questions for Dr. Nagel that uh, come up later, he'll be happy to answer those for you. Feel free to um, email him. His, his information here is on, is on the screen here. Um, otherwise, feel free to contact us at Wise Women Herbals and then we can get you in touch with him as well. I'm gonna uh, unmute everybody because we have a few minutes left. I like to leave, I try to create these so there's time for some dialogue. So. I'm gonna unmute everybody, and if you have a question, just speak loudly one at a time, and we can see uh, anybody. Combination of nettles and quercetin. Nettles and quercetin? Yeah. What was, how about using those? Yeah, that's a classic combination because the quercetin is mast cell um, stabilizing, and you have to remember, uh, plant sources of quercetin um, typically, uh, a plant model would be uh, onion skins is like the, the, uh, the best source. Okay. I know there's certified quercetin. The challenge with quercetin always is the forms may not be that bioavailable. And so I think of the plant forms as like, this maybe is the chicken soup model, but like uh, uh, broths with all your vegetable scraps, including the onion skins, is a, is a key way that traditionally you got those but combinations are really pretty good was there a, a, another question or is that a, more of a comment that, that, that was the question about the viability of that combination now I, i'm not up on all the different different forms of quercetin but i know that if you take quercetin as a powder and put it in water it won't go in very easily and that's, this is kind of the nature uh, of when we talk about herbal constituents, like in the form of nature, like onion skins, it's like, it's beautiful, but the, the amount in there is going to be so low compared to a capsule, but the synergistic, you know, all the web that it weaves, sometimes that can be really uh, more bioavailable than something that's highly purified, you know, in an herbal industry where they want to concentrate and give you components in there. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see quercetin, nettles, vitamin C, you know, what we used to call bioflavonoids. 
the herbal source for bioflavonoids that's probably the most concentrated that you can use uh, easily is um, lemon and orange peels. And what I would always use is dried lemon and orange peel in the teas because you get organic dried lemon orange peels, um, you know, all the flavonoids, especially in the white pithy part, that can be water solubilized into a tea um, that can also be extracted into, into a tincture. And um, that's kind of your natural source of those. Again, it's not going to be uh, super potent, but it's one of the things that um, sometimes because it's a bioavailable, it gets effects without having to be uh, a super concentration. All right, thank you. Other, other questions on uh, the chat line here? The other thing I'll say while you're thinking about a question is that, you know, seasonally, everybody's going to live in a different part of the country and you really got to work locally with um, the pollen so forth that you have. You know, we think here in the Northwest, like cottonwoods come out in June and that's really bad because there's a lot of cottonwoods. Um, I would say in general, a uh, concept you have in allergies is that dry climates, you tend to have airborne, like I lived in Colorado, a very dry climate. And so the thing about a dry climate is the airborne molecules stay in the air a long time and the membranes get dried out. So the key thing I talked about earlier was hydration. And one thing I found really helpful if you live in a dry climate is saline washes. Super important. Probably if you have an allergenic response like a seasonal and you're having symptoms, um, one thing that I found really useful is just take simple saline solution, whether you buy it in a little sterilized bottle or where you put a pinch and a couple ounces of water. But if you wash the sinuses morning and night, just like you might wash your face in the morning and you wash it before bed, if you wash your sinuses by irrigating with a neti loda or you, know, you can inhale a little water in each nostril until you taste it in the back of the throat, that's a really great preventative because if you wash away the allergens that you inhale that stick to your membranes, uh, you get less likely to get a response to those. And so that's something I didn't mention, which is uh, a great preventative. Saline washes morning and night, especially during pollen season. Um, if you live in a wet climate, moist, the water will take the pollens out, but you tend to have more mold than mildews and other allergenics here in the Northwest were uh, crazy with uh, mold issues. So dry climates, you have um, dry climates, HEPA filters work really well because the HEPA filters will pull the circulating pollens out of the air. You ever think of that picture of the sunlight going through your house and you look and you can see all the dust as well as microscopic pollens in there. That's what our nose is all about. And so, Washing the nose is really, really helpful. You know, it's, it's a non-herbal therapy, but it's super available and cheap. Any other questions? Could you touch on something mold specific? Say that again? Something mold specific? As a treatment? Well. Yeah. You know, all the therapies I talked about herbally are helpful because as an allergenic response, um, I would say the thing about mold specifically is that you got to prevent it from growing. And so mildew and mold are kind of on the continuum and it's, it's a pretty extensive thing. But one of the things, uh, I live in a moldy area. And so one of the things that I try to do is you got to control the humidity. And so dehumidification is really key if you live in a house in a <laughs> So like I have a basement, I'm actually in the basement now. And so what I try to do is keep the humidity under 50% all winter in the basement in a house. That's really key. Uh, keep circulation good, have no places where the air will um, 
stagnate. And so one of the things that I found is you got to keep things away from the wall. Like, you know, typically you have the dresser pull pushed against the wall. I like to put about six inches or more there so the air can move. Otherwise, mildew builds up. So moving air, um, heat will help that. I blow, blow air, um, a dehumidification. And then another piece that can be really helpful is HEPA filters. And in mold and mildew, what I like is a low level ozonation. And uh, there's various machines out there that create small amounts of ozone. Somewhat controversial in that ozone is also an irritant, but um, ozone can help neutralize the odors and they can help. Like I had a friend who had a van that got filled with mold and mildew. We, we pulled an ozonator in there and blasted it for a few days. And that really knocks back the mold and mildew. But the treatments can be the same, you know, like helping the symptomatic relief. True. Thank you. Great questions. Yeah, I didn't put them on the slides because, you know, on some level, you know, we talk, are talking about uh, different kinds of mold, uh, black mold, and how, how immune, those things can really affect immune system function. And so uh, every area, there's specialized people that can identify the pathogens in your home. And that can be done. Uh, somebody can come in and take a sample and understand what they are. And that's really key. Any last All right, any other questions? Are you muted there? No, I'm still here, but. All right, well, if there's not any other questions, we'll, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Alrighty, Dr. Farshad. Thank you, thank you Dr. Nagel. Final thank comments. You, Dr. Nagel, great job today. And thank you for everyone for joining us again. Look out for that email. We'll send you the replay link and information on how to get the PowerPoint slides from today and that research study, as well as Dr. Nagel's information if you do happen to have questions later. So on behalf of Legend and Herbals, thank you so much, everyone. Have a beautiful day. All right. Thank My you. My day pale in comparison only to your very own. Thank you.